Marley Matlin, the only deaf performer to have won an Academy Award, said, Every one of us is different in some way, but for those of us who are more different, we have to put more effort into convincing the less different that we can do the same thing they can, just differently. Theater teacher Amy Patel is committed to figuring out how to teach differently so her deaf and hard of hearing students can make their marks on the stage at James Clemens High School in Madison, Alabama. Amy initially received a Fund for Teachers grant in 2017 to explore the inner workings of professional theater in New York City and better prepare students for possible careers and professional applications of theater. When two new students who were deaf subsequently enrolled in her theater department, Amy realized she had a lot more to learn about empowering all students for the stage with equity and accessibility. When her own son lost his hearing, that realization turned into action. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we learn from Amy Patel, a 24-year theater teaching veteran. She holds a bachelor's degree in English and language arts from the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and a master's in directing from Chicago College of Performing Arts, Roosevelt University. She was named the Alabama Theater Teacher of the Year, the James Clemens High School Teacher of the Year, and she, her husband, and two sons were honored as Madison, Alabama Family of the Year in 2018. Amy was a 2017 Fund for Teachers grant recipient, and this year is the recipient of the Fund for Teachers Innovation Circle grant offered to Fund for Teachers Fellows. She used her $1,000 grant to explore deaf-inclusive theater programs, strategies, and technological advances that will make theater classes and performances more accessible to deaf and hard of hearing students. Amy planned to conduct her research on the East Coast at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., where students live and learn using American Sign Language and English, and the West Coast at Deaf West Theater in Los Angeles, and several points in between. We caught up with her to see how her plans pivoted due to COVID, how her son's deafness enhanced her theater classes, and how a Fund for Teachers Innovation Circle grant encourages her to risk and recalibrate. I start each one of these podcasts with the same question, and that is, why did you become a teacher? I didn't decide until I was a junior in college. Um, I had amazing teachers growing up and really had a lot of respect for them and connected with them and a lot in so many ways. Um, you know, from the time I was in elementary school, but I never thought about becoming a teacher. Uh, I thought I would hate that. I was like, oh, who wants to spend their time with teenagers or little kids, you know? So when I graduated from high school, I thought I would do something in math or in journalism. I, I thought being a reporter on the news would be, you know, the bee's knees. So I went into college really going between the two, which are so not related, math and journalism. And my very first year, I took an upper level calculus because I had taken calculus in high school, scored really well on the AP exam. And so I thought, okay, first semester. So I took like a Cal three or something and failed it, all caps, failed. And um, I realized that it wasn't that I was really good at math but I had a really good math teachers in high school and that that had really made a difference and that it wasn't that I was passionate about math. 
I just thought I wanted to do it because I thought I was good at it. And so then I thought, okay, I like this uh, journalism idea. So I was kind of pursuing that. And then it was, and I didn't do any theater and I had done theater in high school. And the summer before my junior year, my old theater director from my high school was doing a summer show. And he asked me if I would come and help and like be a student director and really just like an assistant, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember at auditions and rehearsals realizing how much I had missed it. So I always tell my students, I had been asking the wrong question all along. Everyone going into college and growing up, they were, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And the answer to that question is it's some specific job, you know, a reporter, a teacher, a lawyer, a manager. But what I should have been asking is not what do you want to do, but what can I not do without? And the answer to that question is not a job, but your passion. What can I not do without? It leads you to the thing that you care about the most and the things that you want to be involved with. And and I realized I couldn't do without theater. I wanted to do theater every day for the rest of my life. So when I realized that I could not do without theater, I knew that I didn't want to do it as a professional actress. And it was right around the time that I think I was starting to appreciate my teachers growing up and my professors in college. And it does the two realizations kind of hit at the same time. And I knew I wanted to teach and I wanted to teach at my old high school and I wanted to teach theater about six, seven years into teaching. I realized I wanted to get my master's in theater. So I went to Chicago and I did a program that was for theater teachers So I got to go in the summers, live in Chicago, and I did that for three summers. I got to connect with other theater teachers. And then about seven years later, I knew that I needed to take a step back because I was feeling very burnt out. So I took a year off. I took a sabbatical. And during that year, I was in a show for the first time in several years. I got to get on stage again and kind of reconnect with that love. And I traveled to see friends of mine who I had met in my graduate school program and visit their schools and watch them teach and go through their filing cabinets and watch their shows and um, just kind of see some different ways that I could teach theater because I had kind of been in this box and it really helped me to get out of that. And then that year that I was on sabbatical, the city next door to where I was living built a new high school and was looking for a theater teacher. So I went in and got the job. So originated from the start, you know, I got to walk through our auditorium when it was really a hole in the ground. (laughs) They let me wear a hard hat and Mm -hmm. walk through and try to envision what the theater would ultimately look like. You said something very interesting in your innovation circle grant about the difference between an auditorium and a theater. Do you remember what that was, what you wrote? Yeah. We use theater and auditorium interchangeably. Actually, the roots of the two words are very different. Auditorium is based on the root word for hearing. And it's, it actually means the hearing place. Whereas theater, the root of theater means a place to behold. And it's more about watching and experiencing And the truth is our school does have an auditorium. It's very big. And one of the things that I've learned through the past few months is that that is actually a barrier to the deaf and hard of hearing 
because you're sitting at a distance. And so not only would it make it more difficult to hear, but it also makes it difficult to see the details. And so an auditorium is actually not ideal for the deaf and hard of hearing. That's what I have at my school. So I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I still make that space accessible for my audience members, but also for my students who may be deaf or hard of hearing. Okay. So then let's, let's go there then, because you had a couple of students come into your program who were deaf and hard of hearing. Right. And so that kind of predated your first fellowship. Talk us through how that all incubated this idea to then write a fund for teachers grant for your first fellowship and what you did. My fellowship was to go to New York and to interview actors, struggling actors, which is what my students would be. I didn't want to interview the big time Broadway stars, you know. I wanted to interview the people who were trying to make it and and ask them, what do you wish you had known? Why did you choose this? And why do you continue to do it even though it's hard? And so I connected with some former students and some friends, and then they helped me connect to other people. And I went up to New York and I spent about a week in New York City. Then you have two young people Mm -hmm. come into your your theater program who are not like the other ones. Right. Yeah. tell, Tell me about that. So one of them was a kid named Andrew, who was profoundly deaf and had been all his life. And he was really shy and he came into the program and he didn't have an interpreter. I actually don't even know if he knows ASL, but he had hearing aids and then he had a microphone and he gave me the microphone and then I wore that. And that was the accommodation. And it was really exciting to see him kind of open up and gain some confidence and, uh, you know, learn to use his voice on stage because he was very, I was self-conscious about that, but I really always felt like I wasn't doing enough. A lot of times I wondered when he hesitated to do something, if it was because he was quote unquote shy or because he really didn't understand what we were doing. Sometimes I couldn't distinguish between the two. I didn't know whether to re-explain it or to just encourage him. And then the next year I had a student named Triana who was also profoundly deaf and did not use her voice very much. And she had an ASL interpreter with her and that was really helpful. But again, I, I just felt like it, what I was doing and any accommodations I was making were just were not adequate. I always felt like I wish I knew more to provide more of the same experience for them that my hearing students are getting. While that was going on, my, younger son had a hearing aid since he was seven years old. He was born able to hear. And then we think that it was maybe a bad ear infection or he had a couple when he was little, but when he was in second grade, he told me one day in the car, he said, mommy, I think I'm deaf. He said, death, D-E-A-T-H. And I said, do you mean deaf? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, why do you think that? And I thought it was, you know, how funny, how cute he thinks that. And he said, well, when I cover my left ear, nothing happens. And when I cover my right ear, I can't hear anything. I'm going to tear up now to think about it. I I had to pull over um, because it explained a lot. There had been so many times that I just thought he wasn't listening 
So he had a hearing aid. And then seven years later, uh, his hearing had deteriorated. And he fully expects that by the time he's an adult, he will not have any hearing. And he doesn't dread that. He's accepting of that. So now he's in your theater department. Yeah. Then when I had him in my class, I realized more things that were barriers to him. And, you know, I'm really thankful that he's very open to the fact that his mom's the teacher and that he is so confident in his deafness. He was not hesitant to say what or what's happening. He would turn to me. He would turn to other people in the class. But I know that not every student's going to be like that. And so I wonder about with Andrew, with Triana, what they didn't understand and they they didn't admit. I can't hear this. I don't know what's going on. But it made me realize so many things that we do in not just a regular classroom, but a theater classroom, which is different, that um, we're creating some barriers. We do so much that relies on hearing. It just really does. So much of our interaction, you know, for me to wear a microphone for Andrew was not enough because I'm not the only one talking in class. We often have discussions. We also often play games where other students are talking and how is he supposed to hear them unless they're all wearing microphones? You know, what are some things that we could do to make our activities accessible for somebody who can't rely on hearing in order to understand it? So, so then you heard about our new innovation grants, right? So how did that come into the picture? Because I was a Fun for Teachers fellow, I got an email and it said, we have this new opportunity and we're excited. And one of the options was for equity and accessibility. And I thought, well, accessibility for the deaf and hard of hearing. Like I've been to theaters that had ASL interpreters for the audience, but I've never been in a theater that was accessible for deaf and hard of hearing performers and technicians. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how things operate backstage for someone who can't hear the cues, for someone who can't hear the movement of the set pieces so they know to get out of the way. Um, Someone who can't hear the stage manager say places in 15. There are so many things that we as hearing people don't realize we're, we're relying on our hearing in order to understand it and communicate and having a son who is deaf and now starting to do more and more research. It's really just made me more aware. So you used your grant the summer places. Can you talk about where you went and why? So the story of the past two years has been so many things that have gotten canceled and delayed and postponed and diverted because of COVID. And that's what I've run into. I I knew from the start that I wanted to travel to Gallaudet and uh, which is a university for deaf and they have a theater program, a very strong theater program. And I've been able to talk with one of their directors, but I've not been able to visit because the campus is closed to visitors. And I was in, I've been in touch with the Alabama school for the deaf and Tennessee school for the deaf but can't visit. (laughs) So everything that I've been doing has been remote. It has been through email, through talking on the phone, through reading. And that's been 
a little frustrating for me because I had different hopes for this and had hoped that by now I would know more than I know. And I get a little frustrated with myself when I don't know as much as I wanted to. In fact, the first day of school this year, I had a student in class and she's deaf. My first thought was, I'm not ready. I don't know enough yet. It really just made me realize this is just the start for me. I'm learning now and I will continue to learn. And maybe by the time this grant is over, I won't be able to go to Gallaudet or go out to LA to Death West Theater. But I know more today than I did when I applied for the fellowship. And you wrote something that I think is one of the best explanations of what these Innovation Circle grants are. And I'm going to read it. You said members in the accessibility topic may represent a wide variety of projects, Mm -hmm. but they will all have a common intention to create equitable spaces, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether the inequities we are challenging are caused by physical disability, income, ethnicity, language barriers, or in this case, hearing loss, that common intention will help us find intersections in our learning and implementation. As we learn and discuss, we can build upon each other's learning. Yes. So now you will bring what you've learned in your research this summer virtual and it, through conversations to this circle. And then you will learn from each other, right? right? That's yes. the, that's the plan. Yeah. And we've already been doing that because we have, you know, zoom meetings and people are sharing what they're learning and, and then we get, we're, you know, we're giving each other feedback and ideas and saying, well, have you, Oh, I know somebody like just in the last meeting, somebody said they knew someone in Birmingham who was the director of the opera, who knew somebody else, who knew somebody else. And so that has really helped me to connect. I think this has just made me not only more aware, but more vocal about it. And when people say, hey, what are you doing this summer? I mentioned the Innovation Circle grant. There was a show at my school and I was backstage during it and mentioned it to the stage manager. And it turns out that she is a deaf and hard of hearing coordinator in another school system. And she had worked on a show with a deaf actress. So she was able to share with me, well, these are some things that we did. These were some things that were important to do. You know, it's important to have an ASL interpreter there if that's the primary language for that student. And during the school day, that student may have an ASL interpreter who follows them around, but that interpreter doesn't go with them to after school activities. So as a director, I need to make that accessible. I need to coordinate and pay for ASL interpreters to be with any students that I have in a show. So I have to, you know, I have to factor that in. You also talked about some interesting things that you anticipate doing, like a purchasing mm-hmm. assistive devices, right? flashing lights that notify actors to come to the stage, right? software for creating captions to project during a performance. Uh-huh. Like you had said earlier, we make accommodations for deaf and hard of hearing in the audience. Right. It didn't occur to me what needs to happen on the stage. Right. Stage manager that I was talking to, it turns out that several years ago, she and someone else had developed these lights that they use backstage to communicate the cue times for the technicians. And it wasn't because the technicians were hard of hearing or deaf. It was just to keep, to make it very clear, because if I'm holding up the light, all of the technicians can see when it goes from yellow to green. And when it goes to green, that means move the set piece on, open the curtain or whatever you have to do. And so I'm backstage and I I said, what is this light thing? And she said, oh yeah, Tom Prohaska. And I developed that 
And so I talked to Tom and he said, oh yeah, I'd love to make some, I mean, he made them (laughs) and I never would have made that connection or, or known about this device if I hadn't had the conversation. And that's what the innovation circle has really done. It's just really made me start thinking about it and talking about it and then finding even more connections. When I did the fund for teachers fellowship, I had a plan and I followed it and it worked, but it's really good timing with all this COVID business going on that the innovation circle is not set up that way. It's set up instead of telling us your plan, tell us your problem of practice. And my problem of practice was in my theater classroom. We are not set up to be equitable to students who are deaf and hard of hearing. That's a problem. I don't know how to solve that problem yet. So here are some things that I think I can do so that I can solve that problem. And sure enough, along the way, I've not even been able to do some of those things, but I've been able to do some other things. And then I really think this is just the beginning. I'm certainly not an expert and I never will be an expert because I'm a hearing person, but I don't want to wait until a deaf student comes into my class to try to figure it out. I want to be ready from the start. And actually, the more I'm learning, the more I realize the changes that I can make in my classroom, like relying more on written word instead of spoken word. Like for years, I've been typing notes. When I watch a rehearsal, I used to handwrite my notes. And then afterwards, I would stand up in front of the cast and I would tell them in this scene, do this and this scene, what's going on there, blah, blah, blah. But then years into it, when we have laptops and Google Docs, it made it so much easier for me to sit in rehearsal and type my notes. And then I could just send that link out and I didn't use up so much time in rehearsal. Well, now I realize actually that's a really great accommodation for deaf and hard of hearing actors, but it also helps my students who can hear, students who have focus issues, students who can't remember what I said when it's 10 o'clock at night at the end of a rehearsal, they have it in writing. So I'm realizing that any changes that I make for deaf and hard of hearing students, I really think will benefit all of my students. It will make communication more clear, period. You saw the problem of practice and you took the risk of jumping in to see what could be possible. Yeah. And I think that's what I hear so many teachers saying is that these grants give teachers permission to try to look into something, maybe don't have all the answers, but permission to go and find something to pursue a curiosity. Yeah. And and that's really what we're trying to do for our students. We're trying, I know in my class, I am, I encourage my students to try something and fail. You know, I set up some of our activities knowing that they're going to fail, knowing that it's going to be hard. And then we celebrate that because we learn from it. And I think that this innovation circle is set up is to say that admit when you when you don't know. Hey, students, tell me when you don't know something. Tell me when you're when you're curious, when you have an idea, but you don't know if it's going to work. Well, let's try it. It may not work and that's okay because it can turn into another idea that does work. Mm -hmm. And that's creation. That's creativity. That's, and again, going back to our first conversation, that's what I decided I wanted to do every day for the rest of my life was to be creative and to be a part of creating something and Mm -hmm. innovation circle and fun for teachers has let me do that 
so that I can create spaces where my students can do that too. And, and I can tell you how this has been a great experience. Um, I just love Fund for Teachers. I, I wish, you know, I, I preach it out there to teachers. You gotta, you gotta take this opportunity. We're really fortunate that Fund for Teachers exists and provides this to us because usually what we learn in college gets us started. The longer we teach, the more we realize what we don't know and uh, what we need to know. And then we get opportunities like this to then learn that. So thank you very much. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog. Or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to reach an engaged audience of educators, share your event or product in this podcast by becoming a sponsor. Connect with our listeners as they tune in to be inspired by the groundbreaking work our fellows are accomplishing individually and in the classroom. Contact info at fundforteachers.org for more information. And finally, thank you Fund for Teachers fellow Amy Patel for talking to us about her teaching, her students, and her advocacy for the deaf and hard of hearing community. If Amy's story made you think about what you could do with a Fund for Teachers grant, then start your application at fundforteachers.org beginning October the 1st. And if you, like Amy, are already a Fund for Teachers fellow, stay tuned for the opening of our 2022 Innovation Circle grant applications in the coming months. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.